Welcome to the Connect Her podcast for female entrepreneurs that are ready to level up personally and professionally. Here at Connector, we believe you are always one connection away from your next life-changing opportunity. So buckle on up and join us as we connect you with the most sought-after experts who will be sharing their exact strategies and experiences that helped them reach success. We're your hosts, Sam Conaway and Rachel Haig. We are the brains behind Connector, which is not your typical boring pitch-fest networking community. And we have transformed the lives of over 10,000 women through events, mentorship, and of course, connections. Let's dive in. Can I get a boo? Yeah. What is going good today, connectors? How are you doing? Are you in your car? Are you listening in while you're doing your makeup? Are you hiding your podcast in your ear while you're working on your business? What are you doing? Welcome to the Connector Podcast. Today's episode is going to be an awesome one because we have an incredible guest with us here in the studio. And I am about to just introduce her right off the bat because we're going to dive into some transformational conversation today. So I want to welcome to the floor, da 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 da, Miss Brittley Williams. She is a highly dedicated breathwork facilitator, trauma informed life coach, and motivational speaker with a profound purpose to empower individuals to discover fulfillment within themselves through healing. With expertise in somatic mentalities, she fosters a strong mind-body connection and utilizes subconscious reprogramming to liberate limiting beliefs. Britley's mission is to guide her clients through a life that not only looks beautiful, but feels authentically joyful. Throughout her transformational approach, she enables individuals to step into their true potential and live a life of empowerment and purpose. We have the empowerment queen here today. Britley, welcome to the Connector podcast. Mm, thank you, my girls. I feel like lit up. I've never heard my intro read back to me. I'm like, wow. That's going <laughs> to that be your new morning alarm. Yeah. You can just listen to my voice every minute. I love You're that like, bit. who is she? I'd like to get to know her. <laughs> yeah, who's that girl? <laughs> who wrote that? <laughs> when? <laughs> I'm so happy to be here. Thank you so much. I'm so grateful and excited to talk to your community specifically because I know the community that you women foster. And I know that it's just a high caliber people. So I'm just grateful to be here and to be able to pour into them. Of course. And this is your second podcast interview today, today right? Today. Yeah. Today. You're That's just crazy. pouring the value, <laughs> the knowledge out to so many mm, people. You're all warmed up then. I know. You're all warmed up. All warmed up. To I give some value. Last night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I want to take it back. Let's literally take it back to like childhood Britley. We're going to go deep. We're going to go all the way in on your journey. So prior to being a life coach, prior to helping other people transform their lives, prior to that even being a thought in your life, what was childhood Britley like? Oh, I love that question. So my mind immediately goes to Salt Lake City, Utah, where I was born. I grew up there. My mom and dad were separate, but my stepdad came in at a young age and took me on. So I had two dads. My mom and stepdad moved me out to Austin at eight years old, and I was mad because I was like, why would you uproot me in the middle of elementary school? This is effed up. I was just kind of a rebellious child because, you know, they took me from my grandma and my dad, and I was just very confused. And I really think that that's kind of when I started to rebel a little bit and start to kind of try to find out who I was. 
And I had an amazing childhood. I was so supported and poured into by many family members. It kind of took an army to raise me. My mom had me young. So I think that really shaped how I grew up because I was in the energy of so many different humans and so many different caretakers. But it also, in my little six to eight-year-old mind, kind of made me feel like a little bit out of place. In fact, my biggest story that I've had to work through is I'm a burden because I just felt like I was always being passed around and in different energies and different homes and being passed from one grandma to the next and back to my dad. And so when I moved to Austin and we kind of settled as a family, my mom, my stepdad, my brother and sister and I, it was different. Everything was different. And I was like, hmm, well, I feel like I'm not being so seen in so many different capacities and went on and and made it happen, but had a little bit of a tougher experience. Like I was definitely the girl that was in the drama and I felt left out. I had a lot of heartbreak, a lot of exclusion. I never found my footing, felt really out of place and alone. Fast forward to high school, similar experience. Didn't find my placement. Didn't have really high quality friends or wasn't really a high quality friend myself, if I'm being really honest. Just like really, really searching and seeking for validation, really unsure of who I was, really would like conform to different communities and spaces that I was in but was a really high achiever and not by my parents' standards, by my own standards. Like I would make a 4.0 in straight A's and come home and show my parents. And they were like, good for you. Good job. Like they didn't really care. Like this is all for me, right? Like I was trying to find the accolade and the affirmation and I couldn't find it anywhere. So that kind of led me into my college and then young adult life. I started real estate at 17. I did it for seven years. So while everybody else was doing one thing, I was doing another And by 25-ish, I had a six-figure real estate career coupled with pharmaceutical sales, which if you know these industries, they're full-time, they're highly demanding, they're entrepreneur roles, right? So you make your commission and you base your salary. And I was killing it. I put quotes around that because I was making almost six figures at 25, but it wasn't sexy. Like I was very burnt out. I was very chronically disconnected. I was chasing money. At that point, I was in a relationship in a house. I had a golden retriever puppy and I just had the quote unquote American dream and I was getting accolades for this. I mean, I was getting the quote unquote affirmations. People were like, dang, how do you do it? I want to get into real estate. You make me want to do this. Like, how do you have a life? And I was really in a lot of inner turmoil at that point, so much so that I reached kind of the height of an eating disorder. And I say height because it was getting really bad. I remember being at my sister's high school graduation and all the family was gathering at my house and grandma made cookies, which are my favorite. And I overindulge every time. But at the height of this eating disorder, my whole family was outside of the bathroom, kind of moving, getting ready to get into the car and go. And I was making myself throw up. And I like looked at myself in the mirror like, whoa, we've gotten really comfortable with this whole behavior of throwing up. And I looked at, it's just one of those pivotal moments where you look at yourself in the mirror and the reflection that you see is like, what has happened, right? Like, how did I get here? I have it all. And the family is like maneuvering outside and they have no idea that inside behind this one inch door, I am miserable. And that was how my life looked like behind the Instagram page, behind the money, behind everything. Like I was not okay. I was not happy. And I started to wake up to this idea and see the reflection and just really start to question who she was and how she got here. And all these achievements and things that I had been striving for that had never paid off, right? Because I had it all. I had it all. And I was miserable. And then that led me to think, why aren't I happy? What's wrong with me? I have it all. I'm so greedy and selfish. And I started to go into therapy. 
And I went into cognitive therapy and I'll never forget my first session because she laughed because I came in and I said, my name's Brittley Williams. I have an eating disorder. My dad's an alcoholic and he's an avoidant. It's likely that I seek validation outside of myself and I've been affirmed <laughs> to my body. So that's why. And she's like, <laughs> and I'm like, so what are you? So, so. And she's like, uh, see you next week. <laughs> you know? And I was like, okay. And so I had done so much work and research. Again, the high achiever in me, like I'd listened to the podcast, I'd read the books and I thought there has to be something more. And that's when I started researching somatic therapy, which is what I do today. And somatic therapy is beautiful because it takes all of this awareness, but then it creates a space of integration. So it's beautiful that I understood why I had the eating disorder and why I was unattached from my body. And all that awareness was great and it was a catalyst to my growth. But I was like, there has to be a space and place in which I integrate and start to feel different. So I went into my first somatic container and then we can kind of go from there. But that's how I got into the space that I'm in now, which is a somatic coach. All that to say. <laughs> wow, what a journey yeah. and that has been for you. And I want to commend you for your ability to just be vulnerable with us mm -hmm. and for the listeners, because I bet you there's somebody listening that that really hit deep with and that really resonated with. And we're about to go into a lot of tools that can help that woman. And one of the things that really stood out is the high achiever, because I guarantee, again, there are so many women that correlate themselves with being a high achiever. And it's not like you are wrong for that. And it's not like you need to fix yourself for that. But trying to find where that stems from and where the root of that is, is really beautiful on how you found that. Because oftentimes I do feel as though it is connected to not feeling worthy or not feeling enough. And that was an experience I personally went through during pregnancy was not feeling enough when my body needed more rest and when my body needed to shut down and when I could no longer achieve to the levels that I could achieve. It was like, whoa, where's my identity gone? I do not feel worthy. I do not feel happy. And it feels like on the outside, I have the house. I have the fiance. I have the baby coming. I have all these things to be grateful for. I have a business partner. I have a great business. I have a great community. We have the podcast. All these doors are opening opportunity. And right now I feel like this big. I feel a little bit worthless right now. And that little bit of worthlessness turned into a lot. And there was a lot of work and trying to unfold where these patterns and where this rhythm and where these roots were coming from. And so just your story sparked, okay, I remember those feelings. And so... I want to encourage anyone who's listening that's like, okay, I feel a little bit of that. Where did that come from for me? Because I think it opens up such a really unique way of, of being able to look back into your life and open it up like a book with curiosity. And I'm really happy that you shared that with us. Mm, thank you. And thank you for your vulnerability right back. I just remember this moment in time quickly, and then we can get into the next question. But I was about to move to Denver, so I'll kind of go on in my story. I entered a somatic cohort with a group, which was really beautiful and really vulnerable for a woman who wasn't really sure. Obviously, to have an eating disorder, it means you're so chronically disconnected. You don't love your body that much. So to sit in it is really hard to do. Mm -hmm. To sit in it with a bunch of other people, even harder to do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but about six months in, I decided that I there was nothing wrong with me. There was nothing that I needed to fix. I just simply wasn't living in alignment in God's purpose for me. So I uprooted. I packed a Subaru full drove to Denver. I'd been there once. I knew nobody. And the day before I left, I went to church with someone that I actually didn't know very well. We were just kind of acquaintances. And she asked me if I was going. And I said, sure. And we ended up at Red Rocks, which is where we all go. 
And on the drive there, she was just bewildered as I'm telling her this story. She's like, what? Like, you're leaving? Like, hold on. You're leaving the house and the guy and the dog? And I'm just kind of like, yeah, yeah. She's like, I've been praying over you. I've been praying over your life. And I like was so stopped in my tracks. It was like God just disturbed my whole peace. And I was like, what do you mean? She's like, I've been like praying that like I see you and I pray about that. I want the relationship and all those things. And I just thought in my mind and my heart, never again, never again, never, never, ever, ever again is someone going to look at my Instagram and see a perception and never again am I going to act a certain way. Never again am I going to showcase a life that is not real. Never again. And I just like, I get full body chills because I refuse. And so I try so hard. Like hopefully what you see on the internet is what you meet in person, which is what you see when I'm at the airport, which is what you see when I'm in traffic. Like that's it. And I just refused to be somebody that people quote unquote looked up to in any false pretense. And I just brought myself right back down. I was so humbled. And I was like, we get to walk this together. And that's all my business is about is like, not look at me, it's walk with me. Cause I just, it wasn't a good feeling, right? I'm like, you've been praying for this, you know, and internally this is what's going on. So it's, it's my gift to the world and it's all of our gift to the world to be vulnerable. And there are women that I know look up to you ladies so much and I'm one of them. And so when we can just bring that veil down a little bit and relate and, and like be empathic with each other, it's such a beautiful space to be. So thanks for your share. <laughs> I think vulnerability is something that is so important and something that I feel like Sam has taught me a ton, but that we've really put at the forefront of our community because one of the main reasons for us starting Connector was because we would go to networking events and it would be a ton of surface level conversation, a ton of conversation about the money and the luxury things and the shiny cars that comes with entrepreneurship, which is cool, but it doesn't talk about the real challenges, the real feelings, the real transformations you need to have within to get to different levels in business or different levels in life. And we wanted to add that vulnerability piece. And just from us implementing that in our community and us being vulnerable and allowing other women to be vulnerable, we have seen so many shifts in so many different ways within women in our community, just from being open to listening to each other and providing that space for each other. So thank you for being one of those women that is just open to being vulnerable and open to sharing, hey, I was living this life I really didn't love before. And I never want to do that again. I never want to lead somebody in that way again. I want to lead somebody in a vulnerable light. Mm, I always say vulnerability is just saying, I'll go first. <laughs> mm. Right? Like, oh, yeah. I'll go first. And then you permission everyone around you then to follow. Definitely. Okay. So let's continue on this journey of Miss Britley Williams. So you're looking in the mirror. You realize this is not where I need to be right now. I need to change some things within. You go and seek therapy and pretty much take your therapist's first three weeks of job with you and you're just like look I already did the work now we got to really dive in what happens next yeah so like I said I started to do some research and I found somatic therapy which was totally foreign to me and soma means of the body so these are body practices right and again I thought well body image like it's got to be so it was kind of just one of those fate things that I jumped into it was really a really expensive course and it was something that I had to overcome fear and say what is my fear costing me? What what happens if I stay the same? What happens if I don't seek this help, right? So I went in and I, I actually had the full intention to further my relationship and to stay right where I was and find happiness there. But what happened is I started to peel back these layers of what I thought were for me and all of a sudden take these narratives and stories that I had rooted in my body as what success looked like. And I started to question 
yeah, success was for me. And I just started to get really curious about what was mine and what was my upbringing. I started to understand that none of it was for me. The real estate hustle nine to five, not for me. The house right now at 25 with the cooking dinner every night, like that, it just wasn't for me. And I had just taken it on and that's why it felt so inauthentic. And so it was like a dress that didn't fit. It was suffocating me. It wasn't my size, you know? And so I thought, okay, I've got to take a huge step back. And it was heartbreaking, of course. You know, it wasn't like this easy band-aid. I had to end this relationship and I had to let go of a puppy and and move from a city I had grown up and planted roots and created a career to go in and rediscover myself. But what happened in that journey is I planted myself in a city in which I knew nobody. And what happens when you do that, not that everyone has to go do that, right? But when you get out of your comfort zone and you create a blank slate for yourself, you then get to decide who am I going to be in this new space? What identity am I going to adopt and reaffirm as old? And what am I going to affirm as new? And I just really was intentional about the energy I brought in, who I was in this space. And that was really expansive for me. And I think it really quantum leaped me into this healing because I was able to take a huge step back. And I always joke that I retired for two years because I did. I just became a student. I started to learn, but not like information overload, not like Googling research, like learn brightly, like the internal, like my body, learn when a friendship would come and it wouldn't feel super expansive and good. Could I have the boundary and the bravery to say no? Could I go over here and could I test this on for size and just really trying on like stripping it down to six-year-old Britley before she ever had these projections placed upon her? What did she want? What did she desire? Like back when being a princess was a reality, right? Like being Cinderella was like a thing for me. And then it gets kind of taught out of us. And so I just went back and I really nourished her. I co-parented myself and I got into breath work. Breath work was, I think, the biggest catalyst to really healing the eating disorder because although I hadn't, quote unquote, binged for a few months and I thought I was in recovery, much like addicts who come out of recovery, they're they're recovered, but their constant fear is to fall back into their addiction, the constant mistrust for themselves to really stay in recovery. So again, that's when we're working from the head up, right? We're like, we're recovered, but our body isn't recovered. And breathwork was the catalyst to really break down the barriers. I always say it was like my mind and my heart put their weapons down. And they were like, whoa, we're on the same team. I got chills. We're on the same team. We've been at war for years, but this whole time we have the same goal, which is to take care and to nourish and to carry your soul and your vessel through this life with ease and peace and beauty. And I was like, whoa. And so that was my first like come to Jesus moment in that breathwork session. It was a 45 minute long session in San Diego on the beach. And my hand started to go up in the air. And I was like, <laughs> but I couldn't control it. And I felt God like two hands, like hold my hand, like baby girl, I've got you. And I you know, I just like, I can take myself there. And it was like everything shifted. And for the first time in so long, I had felt my body. And I was like, this is the work for our head and our heart to become in coherence, for our mind and body to become one, to remember who we are. And I think my biggest mission on this earth is not to add to the noise not to information overload you, but to remind you of who you are and to bring you back to center because I don't want to contribute to the noise. I don't want to contribute to the awareness. There's so much of it and it's beautiful. And again, it has a space in place, but like you already have everything that you need within you. And you were speaking about feeling really like the worthiness wound. We all have it right to some degree. And what happens is we think there's something outside of us that we need to get. We store in our bodies at a young age that love is conditional. And in order for us to receive it, we have to become something. We have to get the A's. We have to reach a certain point. A lot of us are waiting in relationships until we get the money to be able to provide. And we just have to all these conditions around who we have to become to be deserving. And the truth is, it's not the truth. 
The truth is, is that we are innately worthy. And when we can start to come and find that in our body, it's crazy how fast those things actually come because we're then a magnet form. We're receptive to them rather than like holding, clenching, controlling life and then the inability to recognize how grateful we are and how abundant life is. So that's the journey I'm walking right now is like to actually remove the noise and just to get back into the body, back into a regulated nervous system to be able to attune to and connect to that beautiful inner compass that is intuition and drive from there not from past pretenses and stories and subconscious programming, things like that. I think there's a lot of women that can relate to that old version of you, right? Maybe that's in real estate or in whatever industry they're in, but maybe building their business has became too overwhelming. They've lost their passion in it, right? They're wearing all the hats, they're doing all of the things, and they feel like they've created a job for themselves maybe versus a life that they really wanted to lead in and live in. And so stepping out of that space where you had created this life, realized it wasn't something that you wanted, you now started to create this new version of yourself, come back to home to yourself. I'm sure along that journey, there was a lot of ways that you started to notice your subconscious try to reel you back in, try to pull you back to this other life or this other version of Britley that you were trying to work through. What were those challenges that you faced and how did you work through them when they came up? And Real quick, before you go into that, because I'm really excited to hear about it. Can you explain to everyone the difference between your conscious mind and your subconscious, just so we're all on the same page? Absolutely. These questions, ladies. <laughs> um, yes. So we'll go into the subconscious mind. So what I mean, so our subconscious mind is built between the ages of zero to eight years old. So if I tell you that this can of liquid death is a couch at five years old, your mind's like, is it a And we're like creating that reality for ourselves. Now, if I tell you that that is a couch at nine years old, you're like, that's a can, right? But we're so malleable. We're so adaptable. We're so vulnerable. We're taking in. Our senses are heightened. We're learning. We're learning. We're learning. We're sponges. So your mom says money doesn't grow on trees. You have to work hard for money. And you take that at six years old. You root it down as truth in the body and it becomes a reality. So the subconscious mind is 95% of what we're operating from on a day-to-day basis. So it's the habits, the emotions, the thoughts, the patterns, the feelings that we are just having in autopilot all of the time. And it's important to remember that we don't live in a reality. We live in our perceived reality. So we live through a lens of stories, thoughts, beliefs, patterns, actions, results that we have implemented and taken in as truth. 95% of our thoughts are recycled from the day before. So if you can imagine, we're just living in these cyclical cycles, right? I always paint this picture in my dad. If you're listening, he will listen. He listens to everyone. (laughs) Laughs because I'm like, it's like dad. It's like you have a white stallion, okay? Like the sexiest horse ever. (laughs) I mean, veiny running the beach, okay? But then you have 95 donkeys chained to it walking the other way. What's the stallion to do? He just simply can't survive. That's our subconscious mind, right? It's like the 5% conscious that is capable of running and operating our life is tied to all of these past limiting beliefs. And he loves it. And I'm like, it's a good visual. <laughs> like I walked into the, the kitchen the other day. He's like, how are your 95 donkeys? I'm like, oh, they're thriving. How are you? <laughs> I just can't let it go. And so what we can do, though, because our brains are neuroplastic and all that means is they're available to change and to adapt is we can find ways to get into that subconscious programming and to uproot. So where we're running on one track, if you can picture yourself like running one way on a track, what I do in my work is to bring from the unconscious into the conscious a why in the road. So now you don't have one left turn, you have an option, right? And then it's up to you to make and decide which you're going to do. But if you don't even have that option, then we wonder why we're in the same cyclical pattern, why we're attracting the same partner, where we find ourselves in the same situation. And so the subconscious is really the runner and ruler of our life. And it's important that we have a connection to it. 
Does that make sense? Yes, that makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. Thanks for going into that. Mm-hmm. And then, Rachel, I forgot what your question was. <laughs> if you how I came up against it. It was, yeah, it. how the challenges that she faced as her subconscious was trying to fight back on these new perspectives, new beliefs that she was teaching herself. Mm-hmm. And then how she worked through that to continue into creating this new and improved version of Britley, the, the home version of Britley. Oh, babe. Um, I, I want to say something that's just like on my heart to say. If you're a realtor, if you're in pharmaceutical sales, if you're a janitor, if you're a teacher, if you're a counselor, you don't have to get out of your work. Everybody can do their work in service and gratitude. It's just about your intention and your why behind it, right? If we could make a few shifts, like you can show up as the best realtor in the world with the most service heart-led business in the entire world. So I don't want to deter anyone or think that you have to step out of this. I think that my calling was a coach. So for me, it did take two years of deep integration. That's not for everybody. So I don't want to scare people. Like you have to go <laughs> jump off a cliff and just fly, okay? Switch to a whole new career <laughs> path. No. Yeah, I mean, you can call me, but... um. <laughs> But the subconscious, it comes up every single day, first and foremost. I want to be very clear. Like, it comes up all the time. In fact, when I moved back to Austin two months ago, immediately I was like, I'll just get my real estate license. And then I'll just have it. And then that way, if anything, you know, shall fall into my lap, I would have that extra source of income. And And I just caught myself right in the act. And I was like, oh, there it is. There is that fear and scarcity mindset. That There is that part of me that wants to drop back into the safety zone of knowing that there's a financial stability and not follow my purpose. And that's the beauty is now I can catch it, right? But does it come up all of the time? So what did I do when I realized that was coming up? I think this is the very most important thing that I can say on this episode. I started to observe myself. So I learned how to observe my thoughts and rather than identify with them because we are not our thoughts. And I like to think of thoughts as fish in a fishbowl. And our consciousness is the water and the space between, like that still steady container in which our thoughts flow, but we're not the fish, we're the water. And what happens if you add fish, keep adding fish, the water spills out and it becomes chaotic, right? And the fish can't survive and then you don't even know who you are and there's very little space for consciousness. So when we can start to become the observer of ourselves, and I do this by literally saying like the 3D body, the flesh, Britley, I call her my person. And when I'm having anxiety, I'm like, oh, okay, baby girl, Britley, she is... Mm, she's having it today. She's feeling it. What does she need? And I really start to create space between this beautiful consciousness and soul in which I am and then this like 3D body that lives and survives and does get anxious and does have hormones and chemicals and brain and all these things. And so I really started to observe myself. I'm like, why do you do that? I got curious about everything. I'm like, why do you respond in that way? Why do you have that thought? Why do you have that feeling? Where does that stem from? What do you need? Like asking yourself, what do you really need? For me, when I would binge and I would go and get the, for me, it was peanut butter. (laughs) I would go get the jar of peanut butter. It had nothing to do with the peanut butter and my addiction to it. It had everything to do with me not knowing how to handle my emotional trigger and meet my need. I was disassociating, right? We have a need. We have a feeling that starts to come up in the body. And the entire reason for human behavior is to keep us comfortable. So what does dealing with an emotion do? It makes us a little uncomfortable, especially if we don't know how to deal with it. So what do we do? We reach for something, anything, anything, right? Like men, I know men reach for porn. We reach for alcohol. We reach for, and not only men reach for porn, we reach for these things though. Like take me out of my body and distract me right away because I do not want to feel what's happening. And when we can take some time to interrupt and not identify and not react and respond from this trauma response, but we take a little bit of space and we become curious, why am I reaching for this thing? That is like the surefire way to start to become back in control of your body and become the active operator of your life human experience. 
could we create the space to be curious? Why? Why am I doing that? Like I would, and it started to become a little bit obsessive for me. I would like download the dating app. Why? Because you, (laughs) the man, why? Right. (laughs) Because you want me fulfilled. Why? Because you don't feel fulfilled within, ah, there it is. (laughs) You know, like you start to get curious. You start to double click into the conversation and you start to see your patterning and your upbringing. And then from there, the work is to really understand that it's not your fault. There's nothing to be hard on. Like you said earlier, you don't need to fix yourself. It's not about fixing yourself, changing yourself. It's like the slow remembering of who you are. And it's just, again, like an onion, peeling back layers of false beliefs and narratives that you've been telling yourself for so long so you can come home to the innate worth that is within and then you can operate from there. Mm. You do such a great job of practical examples and metaphors. And one of the words that I love that you continue to utilize is getting curious because oftentimes we're like, oh crap, like I was just triggered right now and I just cut that person off and I really just, you know, road rage the whole way here. <laughs> and then you're like, why do I do that? Why do I do never. that every day? <laughs> That's not a real, I've never done that in my life. But, and then you're like, why do I do that? Why did it ruin my whole day? And then you guilt yourself. And yeah, I'm speaking from a real life example. And then I guilt myself and then my day is flustered and it's ruined and I wonder what's wrong with me. And Instead of embracing, okay, let's just look at this from an outer perspective and having that distance between, I feel like is such an important thing that you just spoke on. And it even hit me too. I'm like, oh, yes, that's a great thing to remember. And, you know, when I did a lot of work by myself, because Rachel and I, before we met, before we knew each other, we uprooted our lives and we moved to Austin. We didn't know a single person and we didn't really know each other yet either. I relate a lot to that of, I can release this identity that I used to have and I can now create what it is that I would like to become and what I like and also who I actually am. And so as I was embracing that, one of the practical ways that I personally would implement that is every single night I had a notepad inside my shower, one of those waterproof ones with a waterproof pencil. And I would ask myself three questions every night. I'd turn the lights off. I'd put a candle in the bathroom and I would sit in the shower. And when I sat in the shower, that felt like home felt like comfort. It felt like the warm blanket coming over me. And that is where I found peace. That was my peaceful place. It still is. The three questions I would ask myself is, what did I just love today? What did I love? What lit me up? What made me excited? What just felt like me? And then the next question was, what didn't I love today? What was a little bit of friction or where in my day or in myself, did I kind of struggle a little bit more? And then the third question is, what do I want to do tomorrow? And what do I want my day to feel like tomorrow? And it wasn't a list of things. It was, what are the things that light me up that gets me excited? It was three simple questions, but those questions, regular, every day, checking in with myself, what do you need to be happy, made the craziest difference over a day, over a week, over, and then you do that for 90 days, you do that for, and now it's a regular thing in your life. And all of a sudden you have this awareness of who you are and what you like to do. And I feel like you can just slowly go through the days, glancing over that over and over and over. And all of a sudden you forget who you are. You forget the things that light you up and you forget the things that are challenging that you keep saying yes to over and over and over again. And 
I've lived that again. I've done the whole the the subconscious. She brought me back in, and then we do we start over. <laughs> we start over in a long winded way. I do appreciate that share from you, and it reminds me of the practical ways that I've been able to utilize some of those strategies. So good, and you yeah. don't start over, babe. Like we don't, right? right. And you that's know a that. good. That's a good catch. But yeah, we don't. Like this is all equipping us over time, and I love that mm. you shared that because for me, I have a nightly routine. It's called the do over. So every night, I lay in bed and I replay my day, and I act. I ask myself, is there anywhere today that I didn't operate and act in my highest, most loving, evolved self? And mm. I play it over. And this is a practice, right? Like I didn't get it. I didn't nail it every time, but I now it's inevitable. I just do it when I lay down, and I go over and I play over my day. And if there is a space, not only do I bring it to the conscious awareness, but then I do it over in the highest, best, most evolved self. Why do I do that? Well, because the next time I met with that situation and circumstance, I've already rehearsed, baby. I already know how she's going to act, right? Mm -hmm. And then that's the why in the road I'm talking about. So am I going to flip the person off in traffic or am I going to blow them a kiss? Like I've rehearsed, <laughs> right? Um, and so I love that. And thank you for your comment on the metaphor. And it kind of made me want to give this life example of a time where I was with my partner, my old partner, and he was late to pick me up for the gym. And this is just going to sound silly, but this is like real, ladies. Now, this was not that long ago, maybe a little less than a year ago. He was five minutes late to pick me up to go to Lifetime. I'll never forget. And I was enraged. I mean, fuming. I was like, you don't care about me. You don't respect my time. You are always late. And he was like, babe, the dog peed in the house. I am getting there as quick as I can. I know you don't like to be late. I am working. Like his whole human experience was totally different than mine. Mm. I was like, he doesn't care. He's lackadaisically putting on his shoes. This man doesn't give a shit about me. Mm -hmm. And he's like, babe, I'm like trying to get out the door. Right. And I was having this like crazy reaction and I knew better. I'm like, what is going on? Like, I'm like not about to start my period. Like what is happening? So he came and got me and I got in the car and he knows. So I said, <laughs> hold on. <laughs> and we drove for 20 minutes. The gym was 20 minutes away. And I sat in the passenger seat, eyes closed. And I did all my practices. I pulled out all my tools. And what I came to find, and it was so clear, it was like the most visual picture I could ever imagine. It was six years old. I was at my babysitter's house. And my mom's shift just got off later than all the other kids. That wasn't by choice. She got to me as quick as she could, but I was always the last kid to get picked up. And I took myself back in that memory. And at six years old, you know, my mom, who loves me so much, who is working her ass off to get to me, has no intention of being late, doesn't want to be late, wants to get to her baby, her human experience, my human experience. My mom is always late. She doesn't care about me. I'm always the last to be picked up. I freaking hate it here. I don't feel safe in this babysitter's house because I didn't. Mm -hmm. And she doesn't care about me. And so what happens when boyfriend's five minutes late? Six-year-old consciousness comes online mm -hmm. and rooted belief that if you're late you don't really care and you're not really like taking care of me and it's not a way of respecting me or loving me she came online and she responded and how many times do we do that throughout our day we respond from this story rather than this evolved state right and so it was amazing and i like looked at him i was like oh and he's like oh gosh what <laughs> who's talking to me today i was like six-year-old can you believe her she's wild and he was, he's amazing he still is amazing and and so I would say, like, yeah, this is what happened. My mom was late. And he's like, that makes a lot of sense. He's like, so what are we going to do next time I'm late? <laughs> I'm like, we're going to calm down. But now I got to the story, right? So an emotion can only live on as long as a story that we create lives on. So what happens when we get to the story is that emotion lifts off, and then we can create a new story. But we have to have the tools to do that. We have to get into a state change, right? We have to get beyond the analytical mind and into the body and ask ourselves the stored memory because our bodies are filing cabinets to every memory, emotion, triggered story. So when we can learn how to get into the body and start to ask it questions, and then you can get to that space where you're like, oh my gosh, six-year-old self, 
that makes a lot of sense. And now I have this wisdom. So when people are late, I can completely separate from that experience. And I'm like, look, I'm not six years old. Mom's not late to get me. Mom still loves me. He's five minutes late. No big deal. And you start to do this over and over. And like, it's crazy when I got to Austin, I think 80 people were like, you're different. <laughs> you're like different, different. Like not like coming on different, like woo woo, like I, like on a cellular level, I'm a different human. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I feel that and I know that and I didn't need that affirmation, but it's cool to receive that people feel totally different in my energy. I'm not uptight. I'm not upwound. I'm not like flying by the seat of my pants, scattered, overworked, overwhelmed. Like I'm me. And like, that's what I want everybody to come to, whether you're a realtor or not, to just come back into the body and feel yourself and your authenticity and your why and like let that be your driving force not these narratives i think that's really really just important to share both of you guys shared a lot of tangible steps for the ladies listening and i want to address self-sabotage for a moment because there is that part of us that maybe that's the subconscious right trying to pull us back into it but there's that self-sabotage part of us that has fear of change And so when you recognize, maybe this even feels better to come home to myself, but it's different. It's change and it's scary. And so what are some ways that you notice clients that you work with or people going through this transformational journey, self-sabotaging? What are those moments where they can be aware of and say, okay, I'm going to check myself here and be really intentional in this moment? Mm, Such a beautiful question. Let's address self-sabotage first, because that can sound like a gnarly word. (laughs) You're like, dang, I just sabotaged myself. And then then we get critical and judgmental of ourselves. So let's just debunk. Self-sabotage is the ego. Mm -hmm. And the ego's job is to protect us. And the ego sometimes comes from fear and it comes with the sole role to protect and keep us safe. And sometimes it takes its job very, very seriously. And it thinks that in order to do that, we have to do what we know to be safe. And what do we know to be safe? Consistent income, like the house and the job and the things and everything being in a certain order. And that's like safe, right? So we haven't showed our body yet that there's something outside of that that's safe. We haven't showed ourselves that you can actually move to Maui, which I'm doing in a month, and that's safe. And you can leave behind things and you can make shifts and you can follow your intuition. And that's safe because we've overrode our intuition. So self-sabotage is just a way of us protecting ourselves. So when we can really like start to debunk that we're not actually doing this intentionally to take our dreams away from us, we're just operating from a state and place that doesn't know any better. So we just have to show it better, right? The other day, I have two amazing friends that are such strong followers of Christ and they like bring out the best in me and they reflect my power to me all of the time. I had a meeting with one of them that evening and then the other one was calling me. I didn't want to answer the phone for him. And I always want to answer the phone for him because he lights me up and he makes me laugh and he's amazing and he pours life into me. I'm like, oh, I don't want to answer. He's like, I'm going to answer. I'm like, I don't really want to talk to you right now. He's like, of course <laughs> you don't. You're self-sabotaging. I'm like, what? And he's like, yeah, like you're isolating and retracting. Like things are going really amazing and you know that I was going to call and pour into you. So you're self-sabotaging. You won't allow yourself. And I thought, oh my gosh. And he kind of said it in passing, but it struck this chord in me. Like that's exactly what I'm doing. I start to retreat. I start to go inward. Things start to get really smooth and beautiful and my business starts to go off. And what do I do? Think, no way, it's not for me. I can't have it. Because the fear of me having it and losing it is so far greater than the truth of knowing that I get to have it all right now in that moment, right? And so what does sabotage do? It retreats us. It shows us we're not good. And we live in this kind of angst when things are really good because we don't want the shoe to drop and when things are really bad because things are really bad. And so we're used to living in this state of anxiety and fight or flight and we want to just stay there because actually as crazy as it sounds as it feels safer than the alternative of like totally opening our heart up and receiving it all because we're like what does that even mean I don't even know if I'm deserving of that what would it even look like it must take a lot of work for us to get there so 
It's all about creating these small state changes and starting to show yourself and open up to the receptivity of what is, because we're either in two things. We're either in fear or faith. We're either in resistance or receptivity. We can't exist in both at the same time. We can kind of fluctuate between the two, but the best way to do this is ask yourself, am I in resistance right now? Am I like resisting and forcing and controlling what is innately for me because I am so scared of having it and losing it or whatever the story is that I'm not even opening my palm to receive? I saw this viral video of a baby the other day. He was like three-year-old. And I guess he was so excited about blueberries. This is his thing. And he was like, mom, blueberries, blueberries. <laughs> and like the mom's like trying to give him the blueberries, but he has his fists clenched and she can't put them in his hand. She can't put them in his mouth because he's screaming. He's like mad that the blueberries aren't already in his mouth, but there's no way to get it to him. <laughs> and I'm like, that's what we do when we're quote unquote manifesting, mm. right? We're like, give it to me. God, give me the relationship. I need the job. And it's like, well, there's no space to. I can't even get it to you because you're already clenched and like, just take inventory of your bodies right now as you're listening to this. If you were to drop into your body, notice, is your neck clenched? Are your shoulders raised? Is the tongue at the roof of your mouth? Are your feet, are your hands sweaty? Is your breath shallow? Like we live there. We live there. And it's important to start to understand and take inventory of the body and notice that like we don't have to live there. That's not the safest space for us to be, even though we're conditioned to believe so and that we are all on, the, all on this quote unquote rat race to get somewhere. I'm not sure where we're going, but we're all dying to get there. And when we can just slow down in our tracks and start to come back into the body and show ourselves that we're safe right here in this moment and there's nowhere to be, the destination is here and now, then we can really start to zoom out. We start to create that space like I was talking about. We start to get curious. We start to ask questions and then we start to see where, why am I sabotaging? Oftentimes, the things that we want most are the things that we are so terrified of because what happens when we get it, it's not what we think it is or we're still unfulfilled. And so we sabotage along the way. And I think the message that I want to portray and pour out into this community that's listening is that if there's a desire on your heart, you're deserving of it. God doesn't make mistakes. He plants them there. They're seeds, they're inklings. It's your job to steward it. And it's also your job to be resilient. And not let yourself and your thoughts get in your way, but to just steward it well, to pray over it, to move in it. My business with my business partner is called Fan into Flame because Timothy wants his fan into flame, the gift of God. We all have it. We were all created with a purpose and an intention. And it is our sole responsibility to steward it and steward it well and learn how to fan it and walk into it. And it's yours for the taking. Very beautifully said. Like Sam said, the way that you show examples to your stories to really paint that picture of how somebody can make this tangible for their life is incredible. I want to go a little bit more strategy wise. Maybe there is a woman listening that is in that point where she recognizes she's meant for more. She recognizes she needs to come home to herself and she doesn't really know where to start or what tools she can use in her toolbox to get her there. One of the things that you use is breath work and meditation and we talked about journaling and stuff. What are some tangible things people can do for maybe even 10 minutes, five minutes in the day, 20 minutes in the day to start this transformational journey? Yes, absolutely. So in reflection of where I was, which was really restless, really chronically stressed, I had this big illusion that I had to be moving all mm -hmm. at like hyper speed as fast as I can. And the thing that has brought me back into my body is the breath. So the breath is a direct reflection of our thoughts. And then therefore our thoughts are breath. So if you find yourself shallow breathing or even holding your breath, it's likely that your thoughts have consumed you and you're in a to-do list and you're in all the things to do. So just notice. So inadvertently, right, if your breath is reflecting your thoughts, then you can change your breath 
and it will change your thoughts. So you start to take a deep breath, like everyone listening, just take one deep breath and the state changes right away. Do three of those, four of those, five of those, and you start to feel your nervous system come back down into regulation. So many of us think, I don't have time to meditate. I don't have time to pray. I don't have time to journal. I don't have time. I'm like, if you don't have time, it means you need to block out more time. It's so important that we start to rewire this narrative that productivity is in doing. I actually think busyness is really lazy. I think doing a bunch of little silly things is actually like the worst way to expedite your energy. So start to channel, start to bring and channel that energy within. I love to breathe. And the reason that I loved breathwork at first is because I thought I was a bad meditator because I thought meditation meant being thoughtless, which is not true at all. It's just the observance of our thoughts. But breathwork allows us to be a little bit more active, right? So there's a bunch of patterns and I'm happy to send you girls some resources to send out to your community, but just starting with a few slow breaths. I love the halo active breath. So it's just a deep inhale through the nose, a big exhale out the mouth in a circular motion without a start or stop. So it sounds like this. You do 10 of those scientifically. I'm not just making this stuff up. Your nervous system, your vagus nerve, which runs from the base of your head all the way down your spine will start to come into cadence and come into homeostasis. So that alone, you can afford 10 halo active breaths. And then I love journaling. I love messy journaling, stream of consciousness journaling, where I'm not worried about being articulate or sexy or cute. And I'm just like letting the brain go because like I said, those 95% repetitive thoughts are cyclical. And if we can get them out on paper, what happens is they leave the subconscious, they come into the conscious, and then you have to write them out on paper. So it's layers, right? You're like layering these thoughts and you're getting them out. And so they start to create stories and make sense. And then you don't have to sit with them so much. The reason we have all these repetitive thoughts is because we don't sit with them long enough to liberate them. (laughs) So they're like, they're unfinished all over the place. Like what happens if you actually finish a thought on paper? So journaling, breathwork, meditation. I also love like movement. I love to dance. Dancing was really hard for me, but to like put music on in one song and just like put the phone down and move in the way that your body wants to move without seeing. And, and it can feel a little uncomfy and awkward at first, but start to create that relationship with your body of like movement and breathing and moving and letting the energy that is stuck and stored in the body start to liberate. And it feels really good. So I would say those are some ways in which you can start. And then of course, for me, prayer, the more that I have fallen into the word of God, the more that I have opened my heart to him and healed the inner masculine within by his glory. Like when I say inner masculine, not to get too into this, but we have no matter what gender, these polarities within us, the feminine and the masculine. And for women, it's so important to heal that inner masculine through getting in relationship with God, because that is where our business runs. That is where we're providing boundaries. That's a, that is where we allow the men in our life to be in their masculine and not us have to nag and do and control because we're allowing them to be in that space safely. So my co-creation with God has changed everything. It's the number one catalyst for all the growth. It's who I am today. It's everything. And it's the foundation of everything. And I don't say that lightly. I mean that with my whole heart. And then under that umbrella, because I have been in prayer with him, he's shown me and given me the opportunities and doors and people to work with. And then within that, it's like coming home to me through creating the space because again it's hard to hear god if we're blocked off right Mm -hmm. and we're not in our body and we're not connected to self yeah i love that you share all those things one thing that really stuck out to me because it has been extremely present in my life lately is control and you mentioned the reason why our brain is rethinking these 95 thoughts every single day is because your brain is trying to take control of what you're thinking and understand what you're thinking 
And if you're not giving yourself a moment to actually assess those thoughts, think them fully through, create beliefs around them, all of the things, your brain is just going to keep on that spiral. And recently I had one of my puppies pass away, which she was an animal I had for a long time of my life, right? And unfortunately, the way that she passed was very traumatic. It was by an injury from another animal. And so the trauma of noticing being there present in that moment was something that hit very hard emotionally. And it was because I felt like I had absolutely no control. The moment happened so quickly. I went into deep grieving of how could I have done better? How could I have taken more control? How could I have prevented this from happening? And so I stepped into literally the day after it happened, I went straight to EMDR therapy, which I'm sure you've heard of what EMDR Mm -hmm. is, but it's pretty much reliving these situations in your subconscious in a very intense matter in your brain so that you can find full control of the moment and then your brain will no longer replay it in your head. And I was replaying that moment over and over and over again. And it was putting me into a deep depression just in the one day, just in the two days of it happening, because my brain was searching for that control. And so when we were able to go really deep and relive that traumatic moment step by step by step, of course it was heavy, of course it was hard, but I was able to find full control of recognizing that I did everything I absolutely could have done. You know, the situation happened the way that it happened for a reason, right? God has everything happened for a reason. And I was able to leave that EMDR knowing with no confusion of where I could have taken control more. And none of those thoughts really came back. The only thoughts that I was able to have moving forward was the love I had for the time I had with that animal, the love I have for myself for doing everything I could do. But if I wouldn't have done that EMDR, I know to this day I would still be rolling through all of those thoughts over and over, constantly searching for the control. And so I think control is something that I have deeply embodied recently of like, how can I notice when my body is naturally trying to take more control right now and allow others to like stand in their light and take control too and release control in certain areas. And so putting that aspect of control in our thoughts together in one story the way you did, I think was very eye opening. So thank you for sharing that. Thank you. And I'm sorry about your puffy bang. Oh, she is looking She's over right us. She's right here. And in EMDR, some childhood stuff mm, came up, so yeah. she is healing me, too. Uh, <laughs> I, gosh, control is such an illusion. It is. It is. We don't have it. We want it. I'm not sure why. Because the more I let go, the more happy I am. Mm. The more that I'm like, okay, wait, it's not just about me moving this needle forward, and there's nothing that I could have done. You're telling me that God has a plan and an intention for everything? Mm. I'm real quick. I'm supposed to be moving to Maui. And if you guys have heard, it's horribly tragic. Maui is in flames right now. And I was witnessing myself yesterday. I found this news yesterday and it totally disrupted my plan, right? Because I was going to the gym, working out. And then I got this news that three of my friends have lost their house. And the place that I'm supposed to be going to, the most beautiful place I've ever been to on earth is literally engulfed in flames. And I just had to stop. And I took the day and I was in conversation with God. I was like, God, I don't understand. Why would you take the most beautiful place? And why would you engulf it in flames? And like, I just heard him say, like, do you trust me? I said, yeah, I trust you. But I still want to understand. And he goes, you won't. There's no way for you to. I restore everything for the greater good. Do you trust me? And I just kept hearing that and hearing that and hearing that. And, you know, I I can't control that. And that's a really 
big example, but what I can control is like the $300 that I donated to Maui and me sitting in prayer and just pouring my heart into the people that just ran into the water to avoid flames engulfing their homes and the pets. And like, we can't control anything outside of us. The only thing we can control is within us. And that should be the biggest relief that we ever hear in our entire life. But for some reason, it scares us. Because then it's like, wait, so I can't control the sickness and the death and the disparity and the natural disasters. And it's like, no, you can't. And we disservice ourselves and we limit ourselves and we hurt ourselves thinking that we can, right? Like the guilt and shame that you carried that was never yours to carry. There's no way you could have anticipated this dog attacking your dog or whatever. And that's like such a micro example, macro to you of like, we have no control. And when we try to control, it's like, it's all fear-based. So control comes from fear that we have to control our lives because if we don't, then it will be out of control and therefore we will be out of control and therefore everything will fall, like whatever narrative and story. But it's like when you start to go into this posture of surrender and receptivity and allow yourself to open up, it's so beautiful and life becomes a lot more easeful, Mm. right? Definitely. I think there's so many women that can just relate to that, whether it's taking control in business with themselves, maybe fear of delegating to a team member. That can be scary when you're starting your business or fear of trying to take care of it all and make sure all your clients are taken care of or control of balancing life and business or any of those things. I think there's so many women listening to this episode that are going to take so many tangible takeaways from your story. So we appreciate you sharing and we wish we had about five hours to interview you. A um, hundred more questions. Mm-hmm. But before we head out, we do have one big question that we ask everybody on the show. Sam, do you want to hit her with the question? Yes, we would love to know what is one connection that has changed the trajectory of your life? Oh, I'm going to go straight there and just trust the intuition. I had a friend named Kelsey Flanagan. Shout out, Kelsey. I love you so much. In New Braunfels, when I was going through all of this experience and I was starting to question everything and I was in the house, she I met her on like a Monday. <laughs> so funny. Atlanta Park in New Braunfels, a really small park. And we hit it off and became friends and I just unloaded and unleashed and she held me so beautifully. And the next week I moved into her house because she's like, it sounds like you need some space and a break. And she had been in this breath work a little bit. So she allowed me the space and space to land safely and take some space to reflect. And then it was just like the way that she never projected her opinions on me. She never told me what to do. All she did was hold this empty space and ask questions. And that was the beginning point of where I started to come to the device that I didn't need to externalize and ask for the opinions of others that I was going to be the answer. Because I wanted her to tell me, man. I was like, all right, I just moved into your house. Now what? She's like, I don't know. I'm like, what do you mean you don't know? You moved me in here. You don't have a game plan. And she just started to get really curious and allowed me to get really curious about it. She's like, why are you here? I'm like, I don't know. You told me I could come and then I did it. And and we, so she started to open the door and it was like the biggest blessing for her not to give me any advice. She just didn't. She just asked questions. Every time I'd ask her something, she'd reflect with a question. I'm like, Kelsey. And she's like, <laughs> she's like, what is it? And I had to learn that I had to come to these conclusions and trust myself. So talk about being curious, like with yourself, be curious with others. Don't rush to give them this advice because what you're doing is actually giving them a projection of your personal opinion and experience mm-hmm. that's not going to be suitable to them. Ask questions, get them to their own conclusion, because the truth is we all know. We all have the answers. We all have the innate knowing. And so when she gave me the roadmap to finding and discovering that, and I came to Denver on my own, like I'm moving to Denver completely on my own. Nobody pushed me in. No one even mentioned Denver. 
that's how I knew it was a sure decision, right? Because it was my intuition leading me. It was the space for me to process that. So she's a huge catalyst to where I am today. And I just, I love her for that. I love that. I definitely believe that the best coaches, the best mentors, they don't tell you what to do. They ask you, they ask you. And it's amazing that you had a friend that was able to show you that and and give you that space because you don't find that very often. Mm -hmm. That's why we're very intentional (laughs) with the people that we surround ourselves with because it's our lives. This is our lives, this is our decisions. This is the trajectory of where it is that we go. And if it's not from us, it's not who we are, then that will take a big play in everything that you do after that. So thank you for sharing that. We have covered so much in this episode. My goodness, I am so thankful that we had you today. We have gone over just your upbringing and we have chatted about so many different areas from self-sabotage to breath work and meditation and journaling and our upbringings and where things are rooted and even just the trajectory of how our lives can change. Thank you so much for the metaphors, for the lessons, for the teachings, for the stories, for the vulnerabilities, for you just opening up to not only us, but our listeners as well. And I guarantee these ladies are going to take away some very deep intentional things and be able to impact their lives and hopefully other people's lives after this. So Miss Bradley, thank you for being on the podcast here today. Last question for you. Where can our listeners connect deeper with you? Oh, you guys are the best hosts maybe ever. Really, you guys <laughs> have got this down. And I feel like I just feel like such an honored guest on the show. I'm so grateful. We did cover a lot. So go to my Instagram if you have any questions. My DMs are always open. It's at Britley Ann, B-R-I-T-L-E-Y-A-N-N. You can also check out my website, divineyourlife.co. That's the name of my podcast as well, Divine Your Life. Pop in there. Just come say hi. Just follow me. Let me know. I connect with all my followers. So I'm excited to just lean in and support you in any way I can pour into you. Tell me what you loved about this episode. Tell me what you didn't like about this episode. I'm open to all of it, but I'm so grateful ladies. And I really do. I look up to you and your community so much. I think you guys are women of this work, your kingdom builders, your embodiment. You're just, you're living the life and doing the things and then you're pouring into it and it's beautiful and it shows and it's authentic. And I'm just honored to be in the room with both of you. So thank you. You spot it, you got it. Spot it, you got it. Real, no real. What is it? Recognize real. (laughs) Real, recognize real. (laughs) I should never try to do that again. (laughs) No, that was very beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Connectors, thank you for listening in to today's episode. We hope that you were able to have some takeaways for what you specifically needed to hear today. Go ahead and check those show notes below so you can connect with Miss Britley on Instagram, listen into her podcast. She even has a coaching program if that is your style. And we will see you guys in the next episode. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to the Connect Her podcast. We are your hosts, Sam and Rach. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to show your support, make sure to connect your friends with your favorite episode, leave a review, and download that favorite episode for later. And remember, you're always one connection away. We'll catch you in the next episode.